morning, church. It looks like a happy story right there, doesn't it? I like to keep watching that. They seem to be on the right track there. That's great. Welcome to Union Chapel this morning to those of you who are on campus and those of you joining us online. We're so glad you're here and trust you're having a good day so far. Welcome. We have been talking about in this, uh, in this time of receding COVID and other opportunities, spring is around the corner and we see light at the end of the tunnel and we've been talking about from this point to move forward. And two weeks ago, we talked about reclaiming your dreams as you move forward. Last week, we talked about keeping our focus as we're moving forward in faith. And today, I want to talk about the importance of risk-taking as we move forward. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Joshua, the Old Testament book of Joshua, chapter 14. And I'm going to read for us verses 6 to 9. As you're turning there... Let me just uh, put this little plug in. I usually don't do this, but tonight's a 180 meeting from 6 to 8, 7th grade to 12th grade. We're going to have a great meeting tonight, and the reason for that is I'm the speaker. And so you want to you show up for that if you're a teenager. So if you're a parent or a grandparent here of a teenager, get them to 180 tonight. That begins at 6 o'clock until 8, and we're going to have a great time together. So I hope you can make it. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word, to recognize the authority of the scripture in our lives. So thank you for doing that as you're able. The context here is Moses has sent out the 12 spies into the land of promise to see the land and the peoples there. And these 12 spies come back and give a report. And this is some of that context. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly, So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Uh, These are the words of Caleb, one of the 12 spies who gave a good report. And may God use these words and his experience to inspire us today. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Now let me summarize this message with one statement. So, so if you can catch this, you'll have the gist of it. True faith isn't afraid to take risks. True faith isn't afraid to take risks or even to risk everything on the promises and plans of God. True faith isn't afraid, afraid to take risks or to risk everything when we know of God's promises and God's plans. So there it is. Now, the Bible is filled with stories of people who took risks. For example, Moses marching into Pharaoh's office. Imagine this, 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and Moses now walks into Pharaoh's office and says, let the people go. That's risky business, and he did that. Remember Elijah standing on Mount Carmel, 450 prophets of Baal, this 
this massive altar has been assembled and now the prophets of Baal calling down fire from heaven uh, by Baal and Elijah standing alone as the prophet of God calling down fire from Almighty God. That's risky. That's a risky day right there. Hope it works. Can you imagine Elijah waking up that morning? Hope this, hope this is going to work. <laughs> That's something. Jesus said in his face toward Jerusalem, Paul willing to face down the crowd in the theater at Ephesus, Peter risking his life by stepping out of the boat when Jesus came to them walking on the water, and Peter risked his own life to walk on the water as well. Some of you remember this powerful story from Queen Esther, who was the queen of Persia, and she discovered this plot that was going to eliminate all of her kinsmen, all the Jews in the nation, and she risked her life before the king in order to save her people. And that famous line that Queen Esther made, she said in preparation for risking her life, if I perish, I perish. That's strong stuff. Someone ought to make a movie of that. In Daniel chapter 3, we have this fiery furnace which has been put in place for anyone unwilling to bow down to this 90-foot statue of King Nebuchadnezzar and these three Hebrew men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refusing to bow. The, the trumpets sound, the whole nation bows down to this idol of the king. Only three guys are still standing. And, and the king says, what's up with you guys? And they simply said, look, we may burn, but we will not bow. Someone say, that's risky. <laughs> that's, that's, that's risky business. So here's what I want you to know. God is a caring God. You agree? He's a caring God. He has our best interest in mind. You agree? I, I do too. He's a good God. He loves us. He wants the best for us. And he also has this perspective. I want to put this statement on the screen. I want you to get it. He will never choose safety for us at the risk of service and significance. He loves us. He cares for us. He wants the best for us. But he will never choose safety for us over service and significance. When it comes to following him and trusting him, there are going to be moments when he asks us to take a step into uncertainty. Trusting him in that step. And he won't hesitate to invite us into those steps because he knows he's trustworthy and he invites us into that level of faith and risk-taking. That's part of the deal. One of the most remarkable stories in this category involves the man from our text today, Caleb. And we know that Caleb is only described by a small number of verses in the Old Testament, around 10 verses total. And yet he is one of the greatest examples of faith on display and a willingness to assume godly risk-taking. He's great, he's great inspiration. Now we know the story, it comes from Numbers 13, Moses sends out these 12 spies. They spy out the land of promise, the land of Canaan. They return, and 10 of these guys give a negative report, a faithless report. And only two of them, Joshua and Caleb, give a faithful report. And as a result of this negative report, the people of God forget about the presence of God, the promises of God, the direction of God, the miracles of God in their life. And this is what they say. And they gave the, the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in their sight, and we were 
also in their sight small. And so as a result of that, the people of Israel became paralyzed with fear. Now note this, they were too afraid to move forward, too ashamed to go back, and so here they were stuck in this anxiety, unwilling to move in either direction. Now let me just say that that part of the observation we can make about Christians in general and the, and the people of God uh, in particular is that the tendency we have as Christians, especially in the Western cultures, the tendency we have is to hesitate when there's an opportunity to take a risk and walk by faith. We, we, we prefer playing it safe. We, we like it more controlled. We, 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 we prefer it much better when we can anticipate the outcomes and the steps we take to get to those outcomes. And so we sometimes find ourselves individually and then corporately in the church uh, hesitant to embrace God's best plan and purpose. And, it, and it, it fills us with fear and anxiety and we, and we, we hesitate. Numbers uh, also goes on to report, the people said, if only we had died in the land of Egypt or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? that our wives and children should become victims. And then this phrase, would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? And what a, what a thought. So you want to go back to 400 years of slavery, to that oppression? For 400 years, generation after generation, the Israelites begged God, please get us out of here. Please extricate us from this bondage. And now that he sets them free... He goes, they go, you know, maybe it'd be better just to go back. <laughs> what is going on? This is, this is human nature on display. Let me illustrate it with a more contemporary way. Why is it that most football coaches at any level of football, organized football, are hesitant to go for it on fourth down and short? What is that about? Have you noticed this? We live in an age of analytics now. And you can begin to statistically predict the outcome of athletic events based on the numbers. This has invaded professional baseball. It's also gotten in the National Football League. And, and, and for example, baseball now, movies have been made about this. And, and decisions on the field by managers are based on these statistics. And who, who should pitch hit in this situation? Who should come in and and relief pitch in that situation. And, and so it's invading sports. One of the interesting revelations from this analysis, statistical analysis in football, is that it's almost always to your advantage if you go for it on fourth and short, fourth and one yard or less. So statistically speaking, it's to your advantage long-term in a football game to go for it fourth and one or less, fourth and inches. So here's the question. Why is it that most coaches choose not to go for it? Some people speculate it's because of a philosophy called the power of the bad, B-A-D, power of the bad. Apparently for us humans, our brains are wired to give more importance to negative events than to positive ones. Think about that. So avoiding bad dominates our decision-making and becomes our primary goal. Thus, we are 
risk averse. We are hesitant. We, we don't want to step into a, a situation that we can't predict, that we can't control, that we don't have confidence in the outcome. And so we, we hesitate and fear grips us. Now remember who God is dealing with in this case. These Israelites who have been miraculously delivered from Egypt under the leadership of Moses, I mean, 10 miracles set them free. Then God leads them through the Sinai Desert, is feeding them every day by manna from heaven, guides them by the pillar of, of cloud by day, this pillar of fire by night. Imagine this, this, this perpendicular cloud, this pillar-shaped cloud hovers over this entire nation in the Sinai Desert. And in the daytime, it looks like this cloud. I, I can imagine it boiling a bit. And you can, can you imagine other sojourners coming through the camp and asking the Israelites, what the heck's with that cloud? Oh, that's just the manifestation of the presence of our God. You should see him at night. He looks like fire. <laughs> I mean, imagine that. I mean, we live in a time right now, uh, the age of the Holy Spirit, where God is not only with us, he's in us. And so we have the closeness of his presence that way. But think of the advantage it would be. Sometimes we pray, Lord, are you even here? Are you even paying attention to us? <laughs> For the Israelites, all they had to do was open the flap of their tent and see that God was still there. Yeah, well, God's still here. <laughs> there he is. He's in that cloud right there. Amazing. For God's presence and God's miracles right in the midst of this cloud. And yet, uh, and receiving water from a rock. You know, Moses strikes this rock, water starts flowing. God helping them at every turn. And now, when they're on the precipice of the greatest miracle of all, possessing the land of promise, they wait. They hesitate. They're frozen by fear. I've seen Christians do this, and churches do this, way too often. Maxim maximize the uh, maximize the opposition uh, we'll just never be able to do that we'll never be able to climb that hill we'll never be able to go around those barriers there's there's just too much to overcome we'll never succeed uh, you know I, I could never achieve that academic level I could I could I could never save enough money to actually invest that way I could never uh, uh, feel confident enough to engage in that level of relationship on and on, on and on, these, these questions are raised. And so, so people maximize the opposition. At the same time, they minimize the opportunities that are in front of you in God's plan and purpose for your life. And as a result, the mission gets jeopardized. Years ago, we, uh, we asked the question, where in the world would God might send us to preach the gospel? You know, the Apostle Paul said in the New Testament, I've always had an ambition to pre preach the gospel where it's never been heard. And through a series of events and investigation, we spied out the land and we decided we we're going to go to Central Asia. And listen, that's not, a, that's not an easy place. That's hard and that's dangerous. That's risky business. But we uprooted three, three of our families from Union Chapel, 10 of our people, and actually planted them to live full time in a little village called in the middle of Central Asia. And what most people don't know is that early on in that journey, which started about 28 years ago, I wrote a sermon in preparation for the day when we got word that someone that we know and love from Muncie, Indiana, has been killed trying to take the gospel. 
Over the course of the years, we've had over 400 of our people travel to 18 of our prisoners lived in full time. And, and, and I, it was just a matter of time until someone got hurt or someone got killed. And all these years later, I'm happy to report that no one's ever been killed. We've had a lot of close calls. The angels of heaven were working overtime, keeping us from getting, getting killed. I had a close call myself. And so on and on this goes. And here we are taking these risks, and great things have happened. And now you may know the story that in that first village, a young family, we led to Christ, had two small sons, the oldest of which his name is now is the leader of our team planning house churches. And it's a fabulous story. And it's an amazing thing. Now watch this. Watch this. This past week, I was on a Zoom with and I'm in Muncie, Indiana. It was 8.30 in the morning, my time, and 9.30 at night, his time. And we were talking to each other, and he and his wife have just, ha have just had a baby. And I said, I want to see your baby. Well, my wife is bathing the baby right now. I said, well, when she's cleaned up, I want, to, I want to see her, hold her up to the camera. And so his wife brought this little girl, three weeks old, and he held her up to the camera. And then this is what he said with some emotion. He said, Pastor Greg, he said, three generations now of believers. Three generations. Can you feel that? Can you feel that? Now listen, you can't have a story like that if you don't take risks. So that's, a, that's such a moving story. That's so incredible. Praise God. And you sit there and receive the blessing of it. But at some point, somebody had to risk their life. And lead others to risk their life. But I said at the beginning of this message, faith is not afraid to risk or even risk everything if it's in the context of God's plan and purpose for your life. No one jumped up and said, that's right, when I said it. And no one's jumping up now. So what happened to these people who hesitated at the border of the land of promise? Well, the 10 spies we know uh, who brought an evil report soon died of a plague. That's in the text. They died of a plague. It's probably a virus. And the entire nation, everyone over the age of 20, was sentenced to die in that wilderness. So over the next 40 years, the desert floor was dotted with the corpses of unbelieving Israelites. Everyone over the age of 20. That's the judgment of God. Did you know that you can go to Western Europe right now and go from town to town, city to city, and see great edifices built sometimes hundreds of years ago, built there to worship God, Almighty God, and His Son, Jesus Christ, big spires on top of these things, crosses at the top of these, of these uh, great edifices? And guess what? Today on the Sabbath, on the Sunday, 
buildings stand empty. Just like the corpses of Israelites in the desert of Sinai for those 40 years, now we have, we have shells of churches and it's starting to happen in the United States. You can go up and down the streets of Muncie, Indiana and see vacant, blown out church buildings. How does that happen? It happens when people get stuck and no longer willing to live by faith and take the risks necessary to honor the plans and purposes of God for their individual lives and for their corporate life. It's very serious. So when I say we're moving forward and we're willing to take risks, we had a young woman who was a college student in our church at the time and she signed up to go on a short-term trip to Kazakhstan. Her mother called my office and came into my office. And I thought she wanted to talk about the trip and what her daughter would need and that sort of thing. I, she, I, I wasn't prepared. And her, this mother got up in my face, put her finger right in my face, and she said, I'm not approving of my daughter going on this trip, but I can't stop her. She's 21 years old. But she said, I am holding you personally responsible if something bad happens to my daughter. Okay. That mother left my office, and I prayed to a brief prayer that day, I remember very well. I said, Lord, just between you and me, if you just keep that girl safe for the next couple of weeks, I'd really appreciate that because <laughs> I don't need it. Here's my question to you. What is your Canaan? What is your land of promise? What does God want you to tackle? What does God want you to possess? What does God want you to accomplish? All I know is that unbelief forfeits your opportunities and jeopardizes your purposes. When you withhold and you hesitate, you know God's will, you know God's next step, and you won't take it because it's too risky. Too risky. I use the word risk and faith uh, interchangeably. They, they mean the same thing to me. Walking by faith, for me, means taking risks. I mean, you just, you just got to go for it. You, you do the best you can to discern God's will and plan, and then you go. You, you've heard me say this in each of these last two messages. Discern the will of God for your generation and then fling yourself into it. That's what Christians do. Caleb said to the nation at the time of his report on the front end of this, he said in Numbers 13.30, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. That's strong. Now we know that Caleb didn't get in right away. He had to wait out the judgment of God these four decades as the entire generation of people died in the wilderness. Only two guys over the age of, of, uh, of 60 were going to go in, as it turns out. You're 20 years old. You have to wait 40 years. So the, young, the, the oldest that went in were 60 years old. No one older than that, except for two guys, Joshua and Caleb. And so decades pass, and what we, how do we find these men? What kind condition are they in? And what we know about Caleb is his mind was sharp, his spirit was strong, and his enthusiasm was like a child. His faith had actually grown. And so the promise of God was still the passion of his heart. That's remarkable, isn't it? So here are four things that we learn from Caleb, and they're on your outline, and we'll go through these quickly. So here's the first one. Caleb teaches us that risk-takers stay exuberant about their lives. Exuberant about it. 
Now then, just as the Lord promised, Caleb said, he has kept me alive for 45 years. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Who is this guy? 85 years old, talking trash. What's going on? We, no, we know we can't stop the aging process, yet somehow Caleb was able to maintain physical vigor and at age 85 was ready to do his best work for God. Amazing. Isn't that, isn't that remarkable? Listen to what psychologist Kay Redfield Jameson said about exuberance. I want to put this on the screen. Exuberance, she said, carries us places we would not otherwise go, across the savannah to the moon, into the imagination, by its pleasures. Exuberance lures us from our common places and quieter moods, and after the victory, the harvest, the discovery of a new idea or an unfamiliar place, it gives ascendant reason to venture forth all over again. So she says, listen, exuberance feeds on itself. You invest it in your life one time, and you'll discover the thrill of it, and you'll want to do it another time. So here's my question. Is that a description of you? Is this how you're living your life? I hope it is, because listen, we can't afford to lose the wonder of worship. We can't afford to lose the promise-filled life that Christ died to give us. Can't afford it. This isn't about conjuring up some emotions or, or thinking bigger thoughts, you know, because you think it'll, it'll make a difference. It's, it's actually a matter of saying, Lord, with your help, I'm going to be like Joshua and Caleb and not like those other ten. I want to be like Joshua and Caleb, not like those others. Risk takers stay exuberant. Now, here's a second thing. Again, it's there on your outline. Risk takers stay excited about the future. Excited about their future. Now, here's what I've learned. Uh, Now that I'm a little bit older, I can speak about this. The older we become and the more memories we accumulate, the greater the temptation is to live there in those memories. And it happens to all of us. The longer you live, the more you accumulate a past and you mark your life by those past experiences, those memories. But here's what I want you to get. I'll put this on the screen. The most important thing about us is our future. Most important thing about us is our future. That's where another amen goes in the, in the sermon. You guys aren't, just aren't following along well enough. The most important thing about us is our future. That's why the pastor of this church says on a regular basis, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come because the future is more important than anything that's in our past. We have to move forward and we have to be willing to take risks along the way. What we should know about Caleb then is he says in Joshua 14, 12, therefore, he says to Joshua, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. So 40 years ago, he said, I, I, I signed up to, to take the promised land, which is called Hebron, the mountainous area. He said, it may be that the Lord will be with me, and I, shall be, I should be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. So here's Caleb. This area around Hebron, it was, it was holy to the Israelites because this was where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were buried. It's, it's a, a place where there were beautiful pastures and deep wells. And it was great, beautiful country, but it was also the hill country. And here's what else was true about the hill country. This was a place occupied by the ancestors of Anak. They were called the Anakim. 
And these were big boys, physically large humans. So not only was this the most difficult land to take, but it also had the strongest peoples living on these mountains. And so Caleb says to Joshua, listen, I'll take the hill country. I know those dudes up there are big and they're bad, but if the Lord's with me, we'll take them. Isn't that, isn't that fascinating? Isn't that great? So someone said, if you can't get excited about the future, the past won't matter. If you can't get excited about the future, then the past doesn't really matter. So Caleb, as it turns out, didn't use his gray hair as an excuse not to be in the game, not to do some heavy lifting. He asked for a worthy challenge because he had the wisdom to know that with a powerful quest can come a powerful reward. He was smart enough to know that if you knock down a giant, you become a giant. If you want to be the best, then you have to beat the best. I mean, he got all that. And he, he signed up for the job. He had a vision for the future, and he accomplished his greatest victory when he was 85 years old. I hope I'm tweaking somebody right now. I hope I'm messing with you. I'm trying to. That leads us to the third thing we learn about Caleb, and that is risk takers stay enthusiastic about their mission. Enthusiastic. Enthusiasm is actually a word that was originated back in the first century, and in the, in the Greek language, it's a compound word, the combination of in and theos, which is the word for God in Greek. So in God, in theosism, enthusiasm. That's where we get the, get the word. And it was coined to describe the zeal of the early Christians, that they were so passionate, they were so on fire for Jesus, which is something that many of us cannot even comprehend because of the nature of our culture and so forth. But the Apostle Paul reminds us in Colossians 1.29, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in us. And so Paul is touching on something that we all need to be in touch with, and that is that we operate by the power, the unstoppable, the unquenchable, the immutable power of Almighty God. And it should give us enthusiasm about what we do and the missions that we undertake. So when we talk about church planting, that ought to be enthusiastic to us. When we talk about starting a recovery home in Muncie, Indiana this year for men in recovery, we should get passionate about that. When we talk about all the other initiatives that we're doing, risks that we are taking here and there around the world, that should cause us to be full of, of optimism about God's power being released through us. That's called enthusiasm about the mission, and we should be passionate about that. And that leads me to the fourth. This is really good preaching right now. Here's number four. Finally getting it right. Caleb teaches us that risk takers stay energized about their God. Now think about this guy. All the information we get about Caleb comes in these eight or ten verses. There's not a lot. There's a lot more about David or Saul, other people in the Bible, than there is about Caleb. But in these six verses... God gives us the secret to Caleb's willingness to take risk, the secret to the success of his life. And all six of these particular verses have the same phrases in them. It goes something like this. He wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Or my servant Caleb has a different spirit in him and has followed me 
wholeheartedly. Six different times we find this kind of phraseology. So why was Caleb different? It's because he didn't partly follow the Lord. He didn't occasionally show up. Didn't just once in a while present himself in some faithful way. Every day he's present, every opportunity he's accounted for. He is wholly devoted to following God's plan, design for purposes for his life. And so the Bible commends him for this great faith and for his willingness to take great risks. 1982, 1982 at Union Chapel, I had just been the pastor there for a number of months, and I was 27 years old, 1982. Now, that's 19, you young people, listen to me. That's 1982, not 1882. 1882 would be just after the Civil War. 1982, for people in my age category, was just the other day. 1982, and I've assembled the board, administrative board of Union Chapel Church, and they're they circled around the dining room table of the parsonage. And we are going to construct the 1982 annual budget for the church. And we finished the budget that night, and the total for the, the budget that year was $21,000. So I have a $21,000 annual budget which fits on half of a page. And I had this idea. I said, you know, maybe we ought to be more intentional about helping others and doing more initiatives with missions. And so how about we take 10%, you know, that's a biblical concept, a tithe, take a tithe of our total budget of 21,000 and add it onto a subsequent line at the bottom of the, of the budget of $2,100, we'll call that missions. We'll organize a team, decide how to spend it. And what do you think of that? And we went around the table that night, and one person after another said, that's a bad idea. Oh, we couldn't do that. Oh, we have lots of people on fixed incomes here in the life of our church, and we're kind of connected to the agricultural community, and that always has risk and unpredictable tendencies. So, no, we, we couldn't possibly do this. And and the subcontext was, you're 27 years old, you don't know what you're doing, and we've been here a long time, like 100 years, literally, and we've been operating the church now for 100 years, and you just got here, and you don't know how this is going to work, and so, no, we can't add 10% onto the budget for missions. And I said, well, what if we... What if we try this? We just, we'll just make the line, you know, way down at the bottom of the page for Missions 2100. And the, the, the deal will be this. We'll, we'll go through the first quarter, and if there's any money left over, we can assign it to this mission line. And the next quarter, and the next quarter. And if the money isn't there, if we don't have any extra, obviously we don't have it to, to pay, so we won't pay it. But if it's there, and there's a little extra, then we'll assign it to this mission. Well... We can put it on there. I guess that's okay, but we're not going to be able to do it. I wish I, I wish I knew then what I know now, cause, <laughs> but I didn't have enough faith for that. But, but you think about what we've done. Because that first year, we did give 10% of our total receipts away. And the next year, we did the same. And the year after that. I mean, this one, I mean, in year four or five, 
you know, I said to them, hey, you know, we've got this tradition of taking 10% of our budget. You know, by this time, it's up to $50,000 a year or whatever. And I said, let's take 10% of this. And there was still resistance. I said, God's been faithful to help us pay this for four years in a row. Well, we can't, you know, we could pay $2,000. We'll never be able to pay an extra $5,000. Come on, man. This is crazy. And so, so I had to keep the deal in place for years. This year, 2021, Union Chapel will give away about 23% of our total receipts to things like building a recovery home for men, uh, to supporting local agencies and, and benevolent causes here, other missionaries around the world, planting churches here and there. And it's, and it's a big number, uh, over $600,000 this year just to reach other people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Over the, over, the years, over the years since we started that little practice, that discipline, we've been able to give over $10 million to the cause of Christ and the expansion of his kingdom here locally and globally. That's just over and above, you know, paying the light bill and so forth. And so it's, it's an amazing thing. Uh, the first year that we planned, planned a budget under my leadership, it was $21,000. We raised about $21,000 every three days or so in the life of our church today. Can, do you see what happens when you take risks? Do you see what happens when you walk by faith? Do you see it? Can you see it? Can you make the application? Is it possible? I want you to ask yourself right now, what in my life would I do if I weren't afraid of the risk involved? What would I do for God right now if I didn't fear the risk? Would you go to school? Talking to someone, you know God's calling you to go to school. and You just won't go. You're scared. You're afraid you can't afford it. Afraid you can't do the work. Not sure where to start. Afraid of the risks. How about getting married? The reason folks cohabitate in our culture today, or there's lots of reasons for it, the primary reason is fear. People have lost the quality of hope to pull off a successful marriage. Well, I can't risk actually getting married. Probably not going to work out anyway. What is the matter with you? Beth and I just shot a First Friday video this week. Maybe you've seen it. We talked about how to keep the romance alive. We've been dating and been married, dating and married now for 50 years. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> so here we are. We're just, we're just an example Listen, if you don't have hope about marriage, have some hope. The Bible says a man who finds a wife finds a good thing. It didn't say who finds a girlfriend. A man who finds a wife finds a good thing. Mm-hmm. What about changing your professions? I have this passion to do that, but it's so risky. I don't know. I don't know if I can make it. 
What about starting a ministry? We have so many beautiful examples of folks who've started ministries in the life of our church, making a difference. A couple between services told me a story about the ministry they're doing and little care packages they put together to hand to people that they're caring for. And a woman called them this week and said that little, that little packet of material about becoming a Christian, those three little pages you put in there, she said, I read those and I, and I prayed that prayer and I've become a Christian. I have those little papers. I just think that's so great. What in my life would I do if I weren't afraid of the risk? I want to challenge you with that today. Now let's pause and pray about these things and ask God for his grace. Lord God, uh, this, is our, this is our desire to say that I'm going to trust you come what may. I'm going to risk everything on you when it is consistent with your plan and purposes for my life. I'm going to risk everything. I want to follow you wholly wholeheartedly. God, remind us that risk is a central part, an essential part of the DNA of a Christian. This is who we are. The just shall live by faith. So if we're going to be authentic in our faith, look, others may find that offensive, confusing. They may oppose us. In some parts of the world, they may, they may capture us or kill us. But we remember Jesus always looked ahead, and so should we. Whatever our age or stage, let us be risk takers for the Redeemer. Let us have the courage of Caleb. Give us his courage, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all the people said, and well, that was most of you. Great. So stand to your feet, please.